Happy Saturday. It's October 2nd, 2021, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I'm Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors here at Airmail. Welcome to October. Ugh, can't believe it. Rocktober. Rocktober. We're in the thick of fall. We've got lots to talk about today. I think we should start, Michael, with what's your real estate situation like right now? Are you happy with your apartment? Is it doing what you need it to do? I'm very happy with it. I've spent a lot of time getting to know it over the last 18 months, and I'm very, very, very... Very happy with it. Why? You got a pitch for me? You got a proposal? You got something on the market? What's going on? I have found your next apartment. Get excited. It's called the 10,000 Building. It's located in Los Angeles in the Century City neighborhood. It is a 40-story high-rise. It has 283 apartments, and it is home to almost all of the TikTok stars that are populating your feed these days. Yeah, so there's one reason I'm not going to be living in it, but this place is crazy. It's a story by Jensen Davis, who's new to the airmail staff. Welcome, Jensen. Welcome, Jensen. First of all, they call it the 10,000 building because the cheapest rental in the building is an unfurnished one bedroom for 10,000 a month. But this place is like, as Jensen says, it's like a developer crossed a five-star hotel with a summer camp to attract LA's youngest, richest, and most famous crowd. And so far, it's worked like a charm, right? Who lives there? Addison Ray, Charlie D'Amelio, Beck. Harry Jowsey. I don't even know who that is. Demi Lovato. Even Michael Avenatti, the attorney famous for representing Stormy Daniels in her lawsuits against Donald Trump. Yeah, this is one of these places, like, if you follow social media, TikTok and those things, you can admit it if you do or do not. You've probably seen, chances are, you've seen the inside of this building and just not realized it because all the interiors look similar, but once you recognize one, you recognize them all. And this is the sort of evolution of a trend which started a year or so ago, but trends move fast these days, about collecting lab houses, which were these mini mansions that were a dozen or so aspiring social media stars lived and devoted their days to creating content. And now these are kind of like the next iteration of those cribs, these hype houses where these high-end million-plus TikTok social media stars all come together and generate content in one place, right? Our writer Jensen visited this place. She made it out alive. She even saw three Mercedes-Benz G-Wagons at the valet. She saw a female masseuse slugging her massage table to a Toyota. She saw boys who looked too young to drive and were dressed like Justin Bieber filing out of a Tesla. She saw moms with lip fillers coaxing babies with iPads out of Mercedes sedans. And she ends the piece with this great kicker. Everyone looked so happy, didn't they? We're just going to crawl back into our holes and stay there forever. Yeah. You know what reminds me of? It's not in the issue, but have you heard about Squid Game? Okay. This is currently the number one show worldwide on Netflix. Okay. It just came out and it's a horror show that's kind of taken the world by storm. And in it, it's the thriller. Competitors play children's games for huge cash prizes. And if they lose, they die. It sounds sounds simple. sounds crazy, but it's pretty intense. If they lose, they die like they actually die? Yeah, they actually die. They don't like just die on social media. They die, die. If you like Parasite, I think it's the nearest thing I can relate it to, but this is more of a horror thriller. It's beautifully shot and it's a dystopian. Maybe it's a little intense if you've spent too much time in, in, indoors the last 18 months. And how does this stack up for you? I like happy things. I'm a Ted Lasso guy. All right. Moving on, Michael, we have another. Our view from here this week is tackling the most pressing matter of all time, which is traveling in the middle of 
COVID. All right. Our poor writer, Michael Mangiello, all he wanted to do was go on vacation and somehow he ended up on the federal no-fly list. Oops. Oops. Yeah, this is, I would file this under holidays from hell. And if you've traveled lately or you're, or you're looking to travel abroad, be sure and check what you need to do before you go to the airport. This is kind of the moral of Michael's story who was taken to Greece for a long delayed holiday, got to the airport and to check in. And they said, oh, do you have your COVID test? Because a lot of the airlines and countries are, no, he didn't. He said, okay, you can just get one right over in the next terminal where we do a rapid test. He goes for the rapid test. And what happens, Ashley? Well, it turns out, Michael, he tests positive. His girlfriend tests negative, but he tests positive and it turns into an absolutely hellish experience. Which basically what happens is he has to go home. They've got to cancel flight. So they go and do a PCR test and they test negative out. The PCR test, of course, is the more involved one. And they read that, well, if you test, if you pass on that, you can go back and and sort of rebook your flight. 1130 that night, they get a call from the federal government. And a man on the other end is saying, don't even bother showing up to the airport because... You've been placed on a do not fly list. If you were to try to board that flight tomorrow, we'd have to take next steps. What? Which is terrifying. He Now that this guy's an enemy of the state, he and his girlfriend settled in for 10 days of seclusion. All things considered, they consider themselves lucky. But ultimately, he did not get the vacation of his dreams. Their expenses were refunded. They do not have COVID. And they're still kind of stuck at home. Sorry, Michael. Yeah, he wanted to go to the Greek islands and he ended up on an odyssey of a different sort. But it's just a lesson, a little little public service for all of you. If you're if you're going to start planning international travel, especially coming in the fall and holidays, just be sure you know what's required before you get to the airport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I have an equally crazy story this week, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Tell me. Comes courtesy of George Kalidrakis, who always has great items in his airmail diary, which looks at the strange news about these curious days. So in Egenfelden, Germany. There is a theater that is mounting the first musical interpretation of Adolf Hitler's manifesto, Mein Kampf. A musical. Cheery. A musical. A musical. I mean, it's paging Max Bialystok. This is like, you think it's going to veer into producer's territory, but as the director says to the Times of London, Adolf Hitler does not appear on stage as a character. There is merely a type of narrator and a musician. And this isn't about frumpy frauleins and dirndls and people goose-stepping in SS uniforms. It is us having a serious look at what Hitler's values were, how we express them, and what this all means for us today. All right. We are all for the study of history here at Airmail, but I could think of about 3,000 books that would make for a much more entertaining and less troubling musical. Nespa? I even get a play a drama, but a musical? What is there to sing about? Seriously. Or even an opera would be more dramatic singing, but this is a musical? Look, we're willing to be proven wrong if it turns out like we were also sort of dubious about Jojo Rabbit. Do you remember when that came out? We were like, yep. we were a little worried about that. Good point. Okay, Michael, keep an open mind. Mind is open. My mind is open and I'll tell you why my mind is open. Because we have another, but keeping your mind open to art, there's a very smart piece this week by Reed Mittenbuehler, and it looks at the golden age of animation in Hollywood, which sort of flourished up until TV came along. And the first, as he says, the first 50 years of animation had been full of wild inventiveness, vanguard artistry, and sly social commentary with a raconteur's spirit. But TV comes along and sort of like... Turned it all into mashed potato, took all the edge off it until sort of we came along and The Simpsons and South Park came back. But in his piece this week, he looks at 10 inventive and politically incorrect cartoons. Huh. 
Okay. And if you want, he's got links to all of them, but my a few of them, which if you're an animation fan, you may have seen, which include Betty Boop in Snow White, which is from 1933, where the Fleischers, who were long-running rivals with Walt Disney, did their take on the classic Snow White fairy tale, which starred the Zaftig Betty Boop and featured jazz musician Cab Calloway singing an eerie rendition of St. James Infirmary Blues, which was about death and decay and possible cocaine overdoses. It's a cartoon, but... Just a little something for the kids. Despite all this, the cartoon manages to remain funny. But my favorite is also included in here for sentimental reasons, which is from 1949, which is uh, probably the best Pepe Le Pew cartoon ever, which also, he reminds us, won an Academy Award. It's, we've got some visuals for you this week in these two little videos. <laughs> Lots of things to look at. Uh, but keep Michael- an open mind about art, as you say, right? Keep an open mind about art. Let's also keep an open mind about education. As George Kalitrakis reports in the diary, another good little item. It turns out that in Florence now you can pursue a master's degree in coffee. Did you see that? Of course I saw that. Tell us about it. We're always accused of being over-caffeinated on this show, so... We are. You've already got a PhD in it. <laughs> Pretty much, you would think. So everyone is always accusing us of being over-caffeinated. Some people are celebrating it, to be fair. But in Florence, it turns out that two dozen graduate students at the University of Florence will be pursuing a new kind of master's degree in, that's right, coffee. The head of the university's Department of Agriculture, Food, Environment, and Forestry says, we will cover all aspects of the business from the origins to the preparation and serving of the drink. The course is the only one of its kind as far as I'm aware. I mean, this is why I love Italians. Like they take something that we think we know about and perfect it and obsess over it more than we ever would have imagined possible. And that results in some pretty damn good coffee, if I do say so myself. So more power to it. Let me tell you, these graduates are going to be some of the most hotly recruited people in the food and bev business. I'm going to predict that. Yeah, it's like having a coffee sommelier, right? I mean, these guys are going to end up at like 11 Madison Park, all the Thomas Keller restaurants. Mark my words. It's going to be a thing. Yes, this is called the Master Universo Cafe. You know who's a chef I just don't understand? Or I shouldn't say he's a chef, but a food and beverage guy I just don't understand. Do you know about Salt Bay? <laughs> God. Yes, tell us. Okay, I'm sure most of you know Salt Bay. You've probably seen the, 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 the restaurants around the world. He's now worth, I think, as Nimrod Kamer points out this week, he's worth to me about $50 million. And he's a Turkish chef who kind of broke through on the interweb, on social media, about... I think for 2017, and he was working, and they, he was working in a restaurant, and they posted a video on Twitter of him cutting and salting a slab of meat, and then he sort of flourished was he throws the salt on the thing. That's so he's known as Salt B A E Bay. He now has restaurants all over the world, 17 destinations globally, and he speaks no English, as Nimrod points out, except the words "wow" and "cappuccino." Now, the word "cappuccino" figures in to his restaurant because every guest, whether you're some Eastern European tourist or, as he says in his piece, stars such as Lionel Messi or Leonardo DiCaprio or Andrea Bocelli, who showed up recently to wish him a happy birthday, knows the drill. At the end of our meal, it's obligatory to order dessert on the menu, ice cream, baklava, and a cappuccino. And after taking the first sip, every guest must say, cappuccino! But stretching the word out as much as possible, presumably to imitate his accent. It's unclear where the idea for this Instagram moment originated, what it means, but you can see it all over the interwebs as well, right? Crazy. Fascinating. It's like you can't even go to a restaurant now without having TikTok be part of the experience. Right, where you, where you become a co-brander for them. And maybe if you do it well, you can end up in the 10,000 house in LA. Maybe he should be there. Exactly. <laughs> 
It's like, I don't want to be creating free content for some restaurateur when I go out to dinner. It's like, in fact, any restaurant that forces me to relinquish my cell phone at the door is one that I'm willing to patronize. You know, nothing kills a meal quite like watching the guy at the table next to you take out his phone and document the whole thing. Like, that's why I refuse to eat in a three-star Michelin restaurant. It's just too painful of an experience. Like, the food is tourism thing. But, you know, who actually gets the food is tourism thing totally right sometimes, sometimes, is the one and only Stanley Tucci, whose show on CNN has become a must-watch for anyone remotely interested in food, travel, and above all, Italy. I can hear you crushing hard right now. Am I feeling Tucci? I am. Look. Are you feeling the Tucci? I'm feeling the Tucci. He's funny. He's sensitive. He's a man of a certain age, but he has a lot of je ne sais quoi to him. He's charming. He loves to cook. He loves to eat. Like, how can I resist that? I don't know how you can resist him now, especially because if you go to the issue this week, readers will see a photograph of Stanley from a Levi's 501 jeans ad he did from the mid-1980s. And he's wearing a tank, white tank top and jeans and totally bulked up, ripped physique. So nice sort of like compare and contrast with Stanley now. Yeah, it took him a fair amount of time to become a sex symbol, but he finally got there and we support him. Look, gentlemen all over the world, this is a life lesson for you. Learn how to cook, develop a love of travel, and the world is your oyster. Women will not be able to resist. My favorite little moment comes in this piece where he talks about growing up the son of Italian immigrants in New York. And in his new book, which is his memoir is out, it's called Taste My Life Through Food. He adds that his mother's greatest threat to him and his younger sisters when he was growing up was, why don't you go next door and see what the neighbors are having? Whenever he was sort of thought he didn't like the food, which was, he said, a very bleak prospect because the neighbors never ate as well as the Tucci's did. So at a young age, he learned how much to love Italian food. And the show is attributed that is and the book is equally wonderful wonderful i can't wait to read it when we went to italy this summer my father-in-law made me go to every single restaurant that was covered in stanley tucci's rome episode so i have been there and i have thoughts on all of them but we'll save that for another episode yeah i've always loved him from the big night which was the movie that came out 20 some years ago about making the timbale where he was the in the restaurant but um but if you liked him in devil wears prada i'm sure that's that's permissible too he was really good in Devil Wears Prada. He was really good. <laughs> okay, books, books, and more books. It is back to school here at Airmail headquarters. We have our fearless, fabulous books editor, Julia Vitale, on to talk about everything we should be reading this fall, as well as the things we can skip. Welcome, Julia. Thank you. It's great to talk to you guys. Julia, we're so excited to have you because you did your summer books preview and it was a huge hit so you always have the best and the brightest books to read so what do you got thank you i actually i don't think i fully realized like the extent of last year's publishing desert even leading up to this fall until now fall is always a big season for books but this fall has been especially crazy and i think this has a lot to do with all the big novels coming out obviously Sally Rooney kind of opened the floodgates earlier this month. And since then, we've had books by Anthony Dower, who wrote the Pulitzer winning All the Light We Cannot See. Jonathan Franzen, whose new book is publishing, I think, next week called Crossroads. It's a set in a suburb of Chicago. In addition to those, there are Richard Powers and Colson Whitehead, who I think both have taken home Pulitzers for their past books. And also in November, Gary Steingart has a novel coming out. I love him. And I think this one's going to be great. So yeah, just a lot of big novels. Honestly, though, I'm most excited about the season's biographies, two in particular. There's a new book on Oscar Wilde by Matthew Sturgis. It's publishing October 12th. And there have been plenty of Wilde biographies, but I think 
This book includes like basically every anecdote you'd want to read on Wilde, including details about his 10-year marriage to Constance Lloyd and the young men she welcomed into their household, kind of never suspecting they'd become Wilde's lovers. The author is actually writing an essay about this for Aramel, so be on the lookout for that. We like it. Intrigue, history, and literary stuff all in once. Yes. And then the other one that I'm really excited about is a biography of Greta Garbo, which I have been preparing for by rewatching all of her movies and wishing we still had movie stars like her. Bob Gottlieb, the former editor of Simon & Schuster, Knopf, and The New Yorker is writing it. And I think this one publishes in early December. In terms of holidays, I know it feels like so soon to be talking about holidays. It's like barely getting cool in New York, but they are right around the corner. Christopher Anderson's biography is of Prince William and Prince Harry is publishing around Thanksgiving. This is a follow-up to Diana's Boys, which I think he wrote actually 20 years ago this year. And it will delve into the private lives of William, Kate, Harry, and Meghan. There's very little I'd rather do after eating my weight in a Thanksgiving meal than uh, reading this book. I think I'm honestly getting overly excited just thinking about it. So that's a fun one to look forward to. And then in terms of winter holidays, if I had to suggest one book, it would be Claire Keegan's novel, Small Things Like These. It's set in 1985 in a quaint Irish town at Christmas time. And it's really short. You can read it in an afternoon, but if you're anything like me, you really like won't stop thinking about it. And it's also the perfect holiday gift. So, Julia, we had predicted that there are going to be a ton of novels written during the pandemic, some good, some terrible. Are you starting to see that play out as these books come to market? Yes. Basically, last year, so much got pushed into this year that it's just been a crazy um, publishing schedule, I think, for this fall. And and. I think everyone is starting to realize like there's a lot of really great books and then there's just a lot of noise, but we got it. Hopefully this helps you pick out the good ones. Thank you so much. You got me intrigued by that last book, Julia. Have you read it yet? I have. I loved it. It almost reads like a play. I don't know if it's a novel or a novella, but it's short, but it's, they're calling it a novel. Just based on your tantalizing description, it feels like a Christmas in Wales kind of thing. Yes and no. And also it's this author that I had never heard about, but I think she's big in Ireland and she's getting big abroad as well. And I don't want to go into it too much because I feel like I'm going to spoil the whole thing if I start talking about it. But it follows this coal merchant and he has like a big family in a small Irish town. And this kind of secret that he uncovers in a church nearby the town. It's more just like this guy figuring out whether to protect his family first or kind of going after this like wrong that he sees being committed. Great. Background is like snowy Ireland at Christmas. So (laughs) that also helps. So it's Sally Rooney territory. Kind of. She's like very different from Sally Rooney, but it's definitely her backyard. Yeah, the geographical location. Yeah. I know Ashley's very, she's been basically chewing her hand off every day, waiting for the Jonathan Franzen book to drop. But you've got a great review in this week's issue for those of you who want to know how Airmail feels about by Walter Kern. And it's, we describe it as a rave. I would say so, definitely. We also have copies coming too, guys, so you'll read it soon. Yeah, Walter Kern wrote this amazing review of what so far has been an amazing book. I haven't seen a negative review of this anywhere. So um, it's really like, maybe it will be like 
the next corrections. We'll see. <gasps> I loved freedom. I didn't think I could like anything more than I liked the corrections. And it turns out I like freedom mm, more. And now yeah, this one is so shaping good. up to be like, this one is shaping up to be the cat's pajamas and I'm ready for it. So yeah, when you yeah. get those copies, send them on over. They're on their way. But yeah, Walter's review is, is really wonderful. Well, Julia, thank you so much. And we don't know what we'd do without you. We'd truly be lost in life. And thanks for keeping us on the path towards literary heaven. We will see you soon. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And those of you who want to know more about books and Julia's take on them, be sure and sign up for the Thursday Book Report email, right, Julia? Yeah, it comes with a subscription to Airmail, and you can just sign up for it in your settings in your Airmail account. And you get all of Julia's book wisdom every week. Every Thursday. Great. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Julia. All right. Well, before we go out gently into this lovely weekend of romancing and anniversarying, is there anything that you have to recommend to us? I have just one thing. It's a small thing about getting out in the world and enjoying some culture. And you can do it if you live in New York or Philadelphia because there's a big show of between the Whitney and Philadelphia Museum of Art have collaborated to honor the 91-year-old Jasper Johns, who's the painter, printmaker, and occasional sculptor who kind of by consensus is considered the most important American artist of the past half century. And it sort of, along with Robert Rauschenberg, he is that bridge between the fevered American abstract expression in the 40s and 50s into the kind of sardonic pop art started around the 1960s. So beautiful, ambitious show that ranges across his entire career. So if you're looking for something good on a fall afternoon, go to one of those museums and you will not be disappointed. Well, thank you. Okay, I've got something for you, Michael. Lay it on me. LD is coming back to the small screen. That's right. Curb Your Enthusiasm is returning to HBO for season 11. Has it really been 11 years? On October 24th. New episodes are going to be coming out every Sunday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So we're going to have to stay up very late, but it's worth it. So I was convinced during Fashion Week that like some unsuspecting editor is going to end up in a Curb Your Enthusiasm scene because a publicist was setting out these email blasts about this new shampoo that is beloved by Larry David. And it was like, did you notice Larry David its hair looking more lustrous than normal at the Tory Burch fashion show. He swears by this new shampoo. And I'm like, is this a joke? And now with the announcement that Curb is coming back, I'm convinced that it is. So if you see a funny episode about Larry David being used as a hair model, now we know why. Anyway, obviously this is one of our favorite shows here at Airmail HQ. There's no one quite like LD. And this is like the birthday gift. My birthday's in a few weeks and I'm convinced that this is like the only birthday gift I really need. Maybe you've actually been secretly taped in it and that's the extra, extra cherry on the top of the birthday. Yeah, and it's a chance to sort of Go back into the archives and catch up on the Larry David world. I watched all of them during lockdown. I started at season one. And I mean, they get better by the season, but even the first season was just so good. He's so funny. I mean, no offense to Jerry Seinfeld, but I do think it blows Seinfeld out of the water is like by far the funniest show on TV ever. Yeah. And you know what's going to be a funny show is, have you seen that Al Franken is back on the stand-up tour? No, really? Yeah. Doing stand-up comedy. Who's going to that? Former Senator Al Franken testing his material around town. Honestly, good for him. I mean, I thought Jane Mayer's piece in The New Yorker, I thought really exonerated him. The guy was really in the wrong place at the wrong time with the whole Me Too scandal, it seemed. And I thought she made such a compelling argument for why, how he sort of was brought down in the thick of all of these other things that were going on. And I'm glad that he's having a bit of a career rebirth. It seems like a little bit of poetic justice. Now, if you could just cross Larry David and a Larry David episode where Al Franken appears... And be really on to something. All right. Well, Michael, on that fine note, will you please read us out? 
Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We'll be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. But most of all, thanks for joining us.